1: Morning, beloved. How are you? I'm so happy to be with you. But for some reason, the internet went out yesterday, and it's not back, dear ones. So we will um, will be uh, verbal today, but uh, but not by um, not by uh, sight. Um, I'm so sorry about that. You know, you just cannot tell the connection situation. I may need to go back to Monica's. We will see. We will see. Um, I pray that you're well, dear ones. I pray you had a blessed Ash Wednesday yesterday and um, uh, that you're off to a good start in Lent. And I tell you, if you're not, um, uh, don't worry about it because sometimes our best um, plans fail. Don't worry about it. There's no failure in failing. The only failure is in not getting up. So if you didn't start your Lenten um uh, plans yet then you can start them now and if you started and failed right away get up and start again not not an issue god you know your your uh, god wants children to never give up just as parents do you know their children try to learn to walk and they fall and you try to lie, learn to ride a bike and you fall over and over and over again so not to worry falling is never a failure not getting up not trying again is a failure. Um, you know what I'd like to do is continue today on the Catechism Explained. Uh, I have a note from from uh, someone who really misses it when we don't teach through the faith. Uh, there's lots going on in the world, but you can take a look at the news as well as I can. And I keep saying to you, be prepared. Teach your children the faith. Know the faith yourself, because if power goes out or War comes or whatever it is, um, we need to know our faith. We need to know who we are um, and never, ever to give it up. And we need to live it. So faith is a gift of God. And since the power to believe can only be attained uh, through the grace of God, um, we need to ask God for that grace and he will respond. He will respond. Let me go down to where we we left off Um Hold on just a moment, I will. Um, and it says, I'm reading now back to the Catechism, explained that says many men fail to attend, attain rather to the Christian faith through pride or self-will and an unwillingness to give up the indulgence of their passions. I spoke with someone recently, dear dear ones, that has all kinds of reasons for not being Catholic, um, they are Christian of many sorts, um, and it, but it comes down to morality. It comes down to morality just about every single time. Uh, the Catholic Church doesn't allow this, it doesn't allow that. Um, there's no greater freedom, dear ones, than the freedom God gives when we obey him, when we love him, when we follow him all the way. No matter how happy we are on earth, there's no greater freedom than that to follow God. Um, The Catechism says here, it is the lack of goodwill that debars many from the faith. Our Lord is the true light that enlightens every man that comes into the world. It is the will of God that all men should come to the truth, and men too often shut their eyes to the light because they are unwilling to change their evil life. They love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That's what our Lord says in the Gospel of John. Pride is also a fatal hindrance to faith. God loves to make use of simple means to bring men to the knowledge of truth, and this The proud resent, just as Naaman, the leper, resented Elias' advice to go and wash in the Jordan. So Christ was rejected and despised by the Jews, especially by the scribes and Pharisees, because he was born of poor parents and lived in a town that was held in contempt. They said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's like saying, can any good thing come out of Brooklyn? Well, I can tell you it can so the upper class at Rome were unwilling to receive the truth from a nation that was despised by them, and from men who were in general very deficient in culture or position. So too, in the present day, God allows his church to be oppressed and persecuted and looked down upon. There is no miracle at which the proud do not scoff. God hides the secrets of his providence from the proud. And more than this, he positively resists them. So says Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5. Point six of our uh, chapter on faith is that faith is necessary to eternal salvation. Dear ones who don't believe, who don't want to believe, Um, It's necessary for you to believe in order to be saved. Faith is like the root of a tree without which it cannot exist. It is the first step on the road to heaven. It is the key which opens the treasure house of all the virtues. How happy is the wanderer when he lights on the road which will carry him to his journey's end. How far happier is he who has been wandering in the search after truth when he attains to a belief in the Catholic Church. He has found the road to eternal life. You know, beloved, I've often said it was an 18 year, no, I'm so sorry, a five, almost a five year journey uh, from Evangelical Protestant for me uh, to the Catholic Church. Much, much more difficult than my journey from Judaism to Christianity as an evangelical Protestant because I came through the grace of God to believe that truly God exists and that the Messiah indeed had come and that he was God and I was able to give my life to him. But 18 years later into the Catholic Church was a much more difficult road because I learned who God was. Through truncated eyes, and I did not understand who he really was. Uh, completely and fully, i could I could embrace a so-called man-made God, a truncated understanding of God. But the God who exists is so grand and beyond my feeble understanding. And I felt, I've I've said this before. I felt as a child with her nose up against a candy store the size of Sam's or Costco. And it was a candy store. Um, I, I don't know how many feet those stores are. Huge, 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 huge warehouse filled with candy. I was outside looking in and it was all mine now because I became Catholic. It was all mine. And I've said a lifetime, a whole lifetime could not... I could not eat all the candy in in that store in a lifetime. I couldn't even walk through all the aisles, and it's all mine. It was a fairy tale, and it remains so now after 18 or so years. The Catechism says the saints always set the greatest store on the possession of the faith. Um, I thank God unceasingly, said the good King Alfonso of Castile, not that I am a king but that I am a Catholic. Without faith there is no salvation. Our Lord says, he that believeth not shall be condemned. St. Paul says that without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith is like a boat, as without a boat you cannot cross the sea. So without faith you cannot arrive at the port of eternal salvation. It is like the pillar of the cloud which led the Israelites across the desert. Or like the star that guided the wise men to Christ, without faith we can do no good works pleasing to God, beloved, or which will merit for us a reward in heaven. Acts of kindness done from a natural motive earn a reward in this life, but not in the next they are like a building which has no foundation. Just as from the root placed in the ground arises the beautiful plant with its leaves and flowers, so from the root of faith arises good works. Faith in God gives rise to a love of Him and confidence in Him, and this enables us to labor and suffer for Him. Faith in our eternal reward encourages us in our toilsome journey through life. It gave Job his patience, Tobias his generosity to the poor, and the martyrs their constancy. Faith provides us with the means of resisting temptation. It is the lighthouse which enables the mariner to avoid the hidden rocks and quicksands. It is the shield that enables us to extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked one. On the amount of our faith, beloved, depends the amount that we possess of other virtues and the amount of grace that we receive from God. But point seven here, faith alone is not sufficient for salvation. It must be a living faith. That is, we must add to it good works and must be ready to confess it openly A living faith is one which produces works pleasing to God. Our Lord says in the Gospel of Matthew, Not everyone who saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Beloved, there's the music for our first break. I'm so sorry that we don't have the video today with, with the sound, but hopefully we'll have it back tomorrow. We'll be right back after the break, and as always, dear ones, we'll take your calls and your emails following the second break with anything on your heart and the toll-free number 1-877-511-5483 or email at, mother at thestationofthecross.com We'll be right back. Oh, beloved this is mother miriam host of mother miriam live like the catholic current and the many other programs that originate from the station of the cross divine mercy in my soul is all about the messages that jesus revealed to saint faustina it is aired every sunday morning at 11 eastern and tuesday nights at 8 p.m or you can listen anytime to divine mercy in my soul on the i catholic radio mobile app
2: believers often reject religion because it sometimes causes conflict. They'll say, science will fly you to the moon, religion will fly you into buildings. Is this a rational basis for rejecting religion? The answer is no, and here's the reason. First, just because something causes conflict doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. For example, many wars have been fought over land. Does this mean we should do away with the right to private property? I don't think so. Second, the objection doesn't specify which religions cause war. It may belong to the essence of some religions to spread its message by the sword, and these we should reject, but it doesn't belong to all religions. So to the question, should I reject religion because it causes conflict? The answer is no. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com.
3: Bumper magnets are a great way to promote the gospel as proclaimed through Catholic radio. We hear all the time from new listeners who were introduced to the station through a bumper magnet. We'd be happy to send you a bumper magnet so that others can come to know our Lord. Just go to thestationofthecross.com and find our bumper magnet request button under the about tab. That's thestationofthecross.com under the about tab.
1: To Mother Miriam live. I am Mother Miriam and we are live, but we don't have our video today. I'm so sorry for that. Um, But we are live and with you and we're continuing from the Catechism, explained on the matter of faith, and uh, after the next break, we'll have a whole half hour, as always, to ourselves, and I'll be able to take your calls and your emails if you wish to call in ahead. The toll free number is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or you may email at mother at thestationofthecross dot com. We're on point seven of the uh, subject on faith, that says faith alone is not sufficient for salvation. Let me just repeat the beginning of that. It must be a living faith, the Catechism says. That is, we must add to it good works and must be ready to confess it openly. Beloved, I want to interject here. We're not saved by our works, but we're not saved without them. We're saved by faith through grace, by, by um, faith uh, working through love is what it is. Paul wrote to the Galatians, um, we are prepared for good works. And James says that faith without works is dead. Again, we're not saved by our works. We will never be saved by our works. We're saved by faith, a faith that works. But a faith that doesn't work is no faith and no salvation. Um, So it must be a living faith. That is, we must add to it good works and must be ready to confess it openly. And I'll say again that anything done um, apart from faith it doesn't mean anything. If you do good works, uh, but they're not for the glory of God, they're for you, or with not faith in God, then they're wood, hay and stubble. The only thing that works toward our salvation are works that are done for the glory of God. A living faith is one that produces works pleasing to God. Our Lord says, and this is, uh, I just quoted this before the a uh, break from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Not everyone who saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doth the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's from Matthew chapter 7, where people came up to him and knocked on the door for the wedding feast. And, and he said, depart from me, I never knew you. And they said, but Lord, we did this, we did that, all for the kingdom. And he said, I never knew you. Because they didn't do it for him. They didn't do it for the glory of God they did it for themselves it was works done in vanity and the catechism said he who has done no works of mercy will be condemned at the judgment such a one is like the devil." that's matthew chapter 25 son such a one is like the devils who believe and disobey from james chapter two as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead also Faith without works is like a tree without fruit or a lamp without oil. The foolish virgins had faith but no works. Good works such as are necessary for salvation can only be performed by one who is in possession of sanctifying grace and loves God in his heart. Hence, St. Paul says, if I should have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing." We must also be ready to confess our faith. We must um, confess our faith with the heart we believe unto justice. Paul wrote to the Romans, with the heart we believe unto justice and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Man consists of body and soul and therefore must God honor. Man must honor God rather, not only inwardly but also outwardly. Christ promises the kingdom of heaven only to those who confess him before men. We're on to a whole new chapter now in the Catechism Explained. It's chapter 6, the motives of faith. And the first point of that is that the external motives which move us to believe are chiefly miracles and prophecy. It is through these that we attain to a certain knowledge that this or that truth of faith is really from God. The veracity of God, the truth of God, is of course the ultimate motive of faith, for we make an act of faith in the truths revealed by God, because we know that God is true and cannot deceive or be deceived. But no reasonable man can make an act of faith in any truth until he is quite sure that it is one of the truths revealed by God. For this reason, the external evidences through which God establishes the fact that he has really spoken are for men a most important and necessary mode of faith. It was in great measure because of the apostles, because the apostles had seen the countless miracles worked by Christ and had seen the prophecies of the Jewish prophets fulfilled in him that they believed him without doubting, when he said, This is my body, this is my blood. The miracle of the gift of tongues at Pentecost moved 3,000 men to believe in Christianity. That of the healing of the lame man at the beautiful gate of the temple moved 2,000 more. The wonders wrought by the apostles induced the heathen to accept the Christian faith. How many were led to believe or confirmed in the faith? by the fulfillment in the year A.D. 70 of our Lord's prophecy respecting uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, and again by the failure of the attempts to rebuild the temple in A.D. 361. Besides miracles and prophecy, there are also other motives of faith, such as the constancy of the martyrs, the wonderful spread of Christianity, And it is still more wonderful permanency in the face of all the persecution and opposition that the church has had to endure. The four attributes of the church, one holy, catholic, and apostolic, etc. The greater number of miracles were performed in the early days of the church because they were the means God employed for the spread of Christianity. God is like a gardener who waters his plants while they are still tender and small. <clears throat> the second point is that miracles are such extraordinary works as cannot be performed by the mere powers of nature, but are brought about by the intervention of a higher power. An extraordinary work is one that fills us with astonishment because we have never seen or heard of anything like it and are unable to find any natural explanation of it, such as the telegraph and the phonograph were extraordinary wonders at the time of their first invention. But their unwanted character is not sufficient to constitute unwanted U-N-W-O-N-T-E-D their unwanted character is not sufficient to constitute these things as miracles a miracle must also surpass all the forces of nature thus the raising of the dead to life is not only an extraordinary fact but it is one that no amount of skill or knowledge will enable a man to perform miracles are thus exceptions to the ordinary course of nature they appear to transgress the laws of nature, but they do not really do so. The laws of nature still hold good, but they are suspended in their action by an intervening power. There are true and false miracles, we know that. The former are worked by the power of Almighty God. The true miracles are worked by the power of Almighty God. The latter, the false miracles, appear to surpass the powers of nature but are really the effect of the employment of the powers of nature by evil spirits who by reason of their greater knowledge and power are able to produce results that deceive and mislead us. Miracles are divided into miracles of the first class and miracles of the second class. The former are those which altogether surpass all the powers of nature as the raising of the dead to life miracles of the second class are extraordinary actions which might have been performed by powers of nature but not in the same way or in the same space of time as the healing of a sick man by a word or the sudden acquisition of the knowledge of a foreign language oh boy would i love that miracle the third point is that miracles are wrought by almighty god only for his own glory and especially for the confirmation of true doctrine. Sometimes it is to show that a man is a true messenger sent by God. And in fact, in the early church, beloved, the miracles were to affirm the, prophet, the apostles and prophets uh, who did them, who displayed the power of God, who, whom God displayed his power through. Sometimes it is to bear witness to the holiness of one who is dead or to his virtue or justice. God never works a miracle in confirmation of false doctrine, never. All important documents must bear the stamp or signature of the person sending them out as a mark of their being genuine. God also has his stamp by which he certifies that some doctrine is from him or that some messenger is sent by him. This stamp consists in miracles. It is one that cannot be counterfeited. Our Lord himself appeals to his miracles as a proof of his divine mission in Matthew and John. And Elias did the same in in Kings. Miracles still continue to be worked in the Catholic Church in proof of the truth of our teaching. God also works miracles in proof of the holiness of the dead, often at their graves as that of Elias and Kings, or for those who invoke them. Two miracles must be attested as having been worked by the intercession of a servant of God before he is beatified and others before he is canonized. Under the Jewish covenant, the Old Covenant, the saints worked miracles chiefly during their life under the Christian covenant. They worked the greater number after their death. God also works miracles to manifest his goodness and his justice as when the water flowed in the desert to supply the thirsting Israelites and when Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead. God never works miracles in proof of false doctrine. People say, well, God doesn't work miracles in the New Testament. There's no shortage of miracles, beloved. No shortage of miracles in the New Testament at all. Um, But he doesn't work miracles in proof of false doctrine, though he sometimes permits wicked men to be deceived by the false miracles worked by the devil. Thus, the devil sometimes heals the sick rapidly or suddenly through his superior knowledge of the powers of nature. You say God will work through wicked men. Yes, in working miracles, he usually makes use of the intervention of man, God does, sometimes even of wicked men. And we'll continue this to explain it tomorrow, dear ones. There's the music for our second break. And when we come back from the break, we'll take your calls and your emails. Even though I can't see you, I can hear you. And you're welcome to call in toll-free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right.
4: This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for February 23rd. Today we celebrate Saint Polycarp. The large number of martyrs in the early church remind us of the price so many followers of Jesus paid. Today's saint is yet another example. Polycarp was a bishop in Smyrna, modern-day Turkey, and a revered Christian leader throughout Asia Minor. He was a friend of many important early churchmen, including John the Evangelist and Ignatius of Antioch. Polycarp defended the faith against numerous heresies and was chosen to discuss with the Pope the date of the Easter celebration in Rome, a controversial topic in the early church. The times for Polycarp and his fellow Christians were difficult. Living among pagans and under a government opposed to Christianity, he was especially at risk. At the age of 86, Polycarp was set upon by a crowd intent on doing away with older Christians. After refusing to deny Christ, Polycarp was brought to a stadium to be burned alive. When the flames did not harm him, he was finally killed by a dagger. The year was 156. Members of his flock collected his body and recorded the events surrounding his death. That account of Polycarp's death is the earliest and most reliable report of a Christian martyr's death. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day.
0: I would always hear from uh, different people at non-Catholic churches that Catholics were going to hell or that they really didn't know who the Lord was. The Catholic Church is not all what people say it is. I mean, it's completely different. There's so many stereotypes. It's very possible to know the Lord and it's very possible to have a relationship with God. The Catholic Church. I believe I was born into the Catholic Church and that's where I belong.
2: If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org.
1: welcome back beloved to mother miriam live i am she and i am live and i'm thrilled about that and i'm happy to be with you we lost the video today the end of yesterday at a storm and and don't have it today we should have it back tomorrow but we are live and um i can hear you so if you're you're welcome to call in with whatever is on your heart um and the toll-free number one 877 5483 or email at mother at com. We have an email from someone who writes in anonymously and says, I'm troubled by the Miriam's videos and their de- deviation from Catholic teaching without a disclaimer that these are her opinions and not official teaching. Her opinion of... Um, she describes some sexual activity here that's not appropriate for the air um, between spouses. So I'm not going to read a word for word here, uh, but some activity as more being mortal sin. Uh, and this person says in several of her videos, I don't remember ever discussing what this um, emailer has written. I don't remember ever verbally saying such things and I don't know why I would but you say it's in several of my videos um, and that I said it was not church teaching Um, and this writer says as a matter of fact it is approved uh, by the church between spouses and mother needs a disclaimer well Whoever you are writing in anonymously, I, I don't have any recollection of, of describing those things to begin with, um, but uh, I don't say that you haven't heard it, and you said several videos. So the only thing I can ask you to do is to send those videos or um, the portion of the videos with a... Um, uh, a URL or something uh, to the Station of the Cross where you heard that um, so that I can respond because at the moment uh, it's foreign matter to me and I I truly do not know what you're talking about. So um, I don't give my opinion. If I ever do and I'm wrong, I want to apologize for it. Uh, I've been wrong in the past. I mean, mean, there's no such thing. I mean, I don't have infallible truth in my in my soul. Um, I have it in the church, and I try to stick with what the church says, not my opinion. So, whoever you are, dear anonymous, um, write to the Station of the Cross again, and uh, send an email to me again, Mother at the Station of the Cross, and. Um, validate what you're saying so that we can uh, acknowledge it. We have an email from um, uh, somebody who also writes it anonymously and says Dear, dearest mother Miriam, I'm writing to you regarding the decade long continuing and painful family rift among seven siblings following the death of our widowed mother. I hope that sharing my situation with you may help others who experience similar, simul, sorry, similar complex problems as our parents age and pass on. Um, Here she says, I was especially inspired to write after listening to your reading of a letter written by a woman who was cruelly manipulated into an abusive relationship with an apostate priest I think we spoke about that email last week, and I don't remember, maybe it was earlier this week, and it was truly awful. Um, this writer says, "...you provided such wise counsel to her, which was beautiful to hear. By contrast, my oldest sister, the primary mover in our family, rift, actively pursued an marital affair with a priest." Oh, dear ones, these stories are becoming more and more frequent and so awful, awful to hear. Although we initially, she says, or he says, rallied to her side, imagining at first that she had been the object of some abuse, we later learned to our horror that it was she who pursued him. She showered him with expensive gifts and planned to leave her marriage and three young children and for him to leave the church for the... Uh, the episcopal church or in other words to leave the catholic church and go to the episcopal church where he could be married to her as a priest Um, no priest can ever be a priest they can they can be at an outfit and any words of consecration but they cannot be a priest and they will not be in heaven i guess there will also be consecrated priests in hell as well She goes on to say, my devout parents' shock was palpable and they did not know what to do. When the priest broke things off with my sister, she was vengeful, stalking him, calling and threatening his family and reporting him to his order, which means he was a religious priest. Her husband finally divorced her, which pleased her. This is awful. My parents continued to lovingly care for her and her children, never judging her. She went on to pursue several other men, my goodness, until finally marrying again outside the church to a wealthy man who was married three times before. Somehow that doesn't surprise me. When my father died, this same sister and her new husband insisted mom move into the new large house they were building. She hesitantly did. I'm so sorry that your mom did that. And after years of suffering silently there, my mother finally revealed that they had drained her finances, no surprise, using mom's small savings and social security to buy expensive gifts, throw parties, fund part of the bill of their house, as well as to rescue them from a string of questionable financial so-called emergencies that they had created. This is a horror story. When they were almost finished draining her savings, they began verbally abusing her and excluding her. Nothing here is a surprise, dear one, nothing. They wanted her for her money, and they they um, it doesn't surprise me that they would exclude and abuse her when she was no longer good to them. They permanently moved their cleaning woman into Mom's suite without Mom's consent, forcing them to live together, which Mom felt was a final act of disrespect of course it was my mother finally came to terms with the reality of the situation broke her silence and asked to move in with me my husband and i welcomed her into our home good for you however this apparently was a declaration of war in my sister's eyes my goodness my goodness your sister is a sick woman dear one your sister is a sick woman She went on to detract and defame me to our extended family, to my neighbors and people in our parish, making up stories that I had physically dragged my mother from her home and was abusing her, that mom was demented, etc. These accusations were painful and confusing to mom and I, not only because they were untrue, but especially because she turned the tables and vehemently accused me of abuses she had actually committed. Mom died at 85 years old. What a what a tragic life your mom lived. After spending only two short years with my husband, five children, and me, and we gave her all the love that we had, which was very easy because she was such a wonderful, loving, and devout woman, loved by all who knew her. When I would kiss her goodnight, she would often thank me unnecessarily and say that she did not know it was possible to feel this love. It was a very special time in our lives. Blessed be God, dear one. My sister refused to speak to her during this time, joined in part with two other siblings who had a history of financial and emotional abuse toward mom. My goodness. Better that they separate from you. Better that they separate. During this time, my brother, who is a lawyer, recommended that my mom hire someone to draft her will so that there would be no controversy over the minimal finances left when she died. Mom did, as he recommended. When the will was read after her death, the three abusive siblings learned that they were not to receive any more money, good. Mom expressed in her will that they had already received much more financial support than any other siblings during their lifetime. The three disinherited siblings went crazy with fury and righteous indignation. It's not righteous, it's sinful indignation. They blamed me and attempted to sue me, but their lawyer and mom's lawyer told them I had done nothing wrong, there was no case. When the remaining siblings refused to join this bizarre and rageful crusade against me, the three abusive siblings unleashed their hate on them as well and on our family priest who had faithfully brought mom communion for years. One sibling actually went to the monastery and threatened to physically harm this 80-year-old priest, dear one, who remains anonymous. um, This is a horror story and it's absolutely demonic. It is demonic. They're simply not, not Christians. This is demonic activity. To this day, those three refuse to speak or interact in any way with the four of us who cared for mom during her last years, except for ominous letters left once a year in some of our mailboxes. They even forbade their adult children from speaking to any of us or to our children. You should be thankful for this. You should be thankful that they have separated themselves from you. Mother, she says, I pray for them. That she's talking to me now. Mother, I pray for them and have searched for other ways that I could help heal this rift. Um, You cannot heal the rift. They need to be converted. They need to be converted. She says, but I come up completely empty-handed. There's nothing for you to do. You need to accept their separation from you and not make any attempt to make amends with them. I'm also very worried that I'm committing a sin just by being a party to such a rift. You are not a party to it. You're a victim of it. You have nothing to do with it. It's their choice. Is there something I should be doing to promote family reunification that I'm blind to? What is the ideal course of action I could be taking in the sight of God? I want to fulfill my moral responsibilities and be pleasing to our Lord. Do what you're doing. Let the rift happen. Let it happen. It's demonic. What fellowship has um, Christ with Satan? None. Let it happen. And just pray for them nonstop with your children, and with your other siblings. Pray, no Venus, that our Lord would convert their heart. Do nothing to try to heal the rift, not at Christmas, not at any time. This is demonic, and only God could change their hearts. Nothing you can do. She says, I'm thankful in advance for your wise advice. I love that you speak truth with kindness, a rare work of mercy in these times. You are a blessing during these turbulent and confusing days with love and eternal gratitude for your vocation. Thank you. I don't know if this is a she or he. I'm guessing it might be a she. Dear one, um, just live a good life holy catholic life with your children and remaining siblings and ask your mom who i pray has gone on to her reward um to pray for you all and that god would change the heart of those who have separated themselves from you uh it's good that they have you you need that rift and they need uh they know they're wrong if they have any ounce of conscience they know that they're wrong and what they've done is evil and if they're so blinded that they don't know that there's nothing you could do there's not, they show no goodwill whatsoever to abuse your mom as they have and then put the cleaning woman in to share her room and then attack you because you've given her a different better place to live and they drained of our finances this is pure evil just pray for her and live a peaceful life here. That's what you must do. We have an email from another who writes in anonymously and says, if uh, I don't want to um, uh, come in the middle of this break, beloved. This is the music for our final break. We'll have 10 minutes when we come back and I pray that we'll be with you by video again tomorrow. Um, but we are live today, dear ones. Feel free to call in during the break or at any time with anything at all on your heart, toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com We'll be right back.
2: Listening to the Station of the Cross on your car radio, but sometimes find yourself driving outside the listening area? Never miss another minute of your favorite show. Download the iCatholic Radio app so you can listen anywhere in the world 24 hours a day. The iCatholic Radio app is available for your phone in the Apple Store or for your Android phone in Google Play. Visit thestationofthecross.com for more information.
3: This is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your church most likely has a praise and worship time. Would you be surprised to know that the songs you sing might have nothing to do with worship? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history. Praise and worship was not a term used until the mid-60s when the Jesus people music started becoming more complex and contemporary. By the late 70s, praise and worship had become an entire entity of its own. Secondly, what is worship? It's a sacrifice. It's not singing a soft, flowy song with hands raised. The new Testament writers understood that worship was a sacrifice, that it occurred on an altar, which was and is known as a place of slaughter. Thirdly, the altar is for you. Jesus, in the holy sacrifices of the mass, invites you to participate in his timeless sacrifice of love that truly occurs on the altar. No nightclub effects, no entertainment, no pumped up emotion. Oh, and please don't register for the next Praise and Worship Global Seminar. Why? Because you can't teach praise and it won't include worship. Yikes! The Station
2: of the Cross is listener-funded, and we value your ongoing generosity. In this fast-paced world, it's easy to let your recurring donation slip due to something like a new address or a card number change. If you suspect that we might not have your up-to-date donor information, you can check with us during regular business hours at 1-877-888-6279, extension 104, or anytime online at thestationofthecross.com.
1: We are live uh, without the video today, but we are we are very much alive and happy to be with you. And we have ten minutes left um, to this hour today, and um, you are welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Just as people email anonymously, you're welcome to call in anonymously if if that's helpful. And the toll free number 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross. Um, The email that I I, uh, withheld reading just before the break from Anonymous says, If all of our sins are forgiven each time we go to confession, what stops a habitual sinner from continuing with their sinful ways and abusing the sacrament, knowing they'll be forgiven? Or would God see their confession as invalid because he knows their heart and true intentions? Yes, God sees their confession as invalid because he knows their heart and true intentions. When we confess a sin, we must have a firm purpose of amendment to not continue it again. There are habitual sins that many have and they purpose not to continue them ever again and they fall again and again and again. That's different than saying, I'll go to confession, I'll do it again and be forgiven. No, 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 no. Um... If when you go to confession, you do not have a firm purpose of amendment to, uh, to leave that sin, and you know you're, gonna, you're planning already to do it again and go to confession again, that's not valid. And the priest may say, I absolve you, but the grace of that absolution is withheld by God from you until you truly um, are truthful about your sinfulness, so, no, no. If you're in habitual sin, you're living with someone outside of marriage, uh, whatever your sin is, unless you resolve that situation, you just keep going to confession, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a farce. It's, uh, uh, you're, you can't fool God. Absolutely not. God forgives us when we're repentant. The word repent means to make a, an about face, 100 degree turn, and go the other way. <clears throat> we have an email from Rocco, and he says, Hi, hello, Mother Miriam. I'm a 76-year-old veteran. Bless you, Rocco. My local parish priest takes issue with flying an American flag anywhere in front of the church. Instead, he keeps the flag in the vestibule. How do you feel about this matter? Is there anything wrong with having a flag outside the church? No. No, there's not, Rocco. Um there are churches who who do not want a flag in the sacristy because that's reserved alone for the tabernacle and our Lord and so forth. But there's nothing wrong. The church has no restrictions on a flag outside the church. In fact, this past President's Day, we rode past the cathedral here in Tyler and there were four flags outside near the road. Uh, right in front of the church, four of them. So no, 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 there's nothing wrong at all with uh, having a flag outside the church. I personally love it when I see the American flag because so many people are uh, abusing that flag today. We have an email from Katerina who says, Good morning, Mother. I've spent my whole life feeling insecure and physically unattractive. Well, I don't know the rest of your email, dear one, but you're not physically unattractive to God or to love. If you feel insecure and physically attractive, I don't know who you are yet, but I know that you've been wounded from your childhood. She says, I am a 23-year-old woman and have never had a man take any sort of interest in me romantically It makes me feel like I'm not good enough. But at the same time, I know that God will place the right person in my life when the time comes. She says, with that being said, I've always wondered, why does God make some people less attractive than others if we are all made in his image and likeness? The image and likeness, dear one, has nothing to do with... um, uh, with physical appearance. Absolutely not. The image, because God is not a person, He's not a man. He became man for our salvation. Uh, he became like us, but we are made in His image and likeness in that we have reason, which animals don't have. We have will. That is how, by our reason, by our will, by our intellect, that's how we're made in the image and likeness of God. It has nothing to do with physical um, attractiveness. She says, I struggle with the idea that God would want me to feel this way about myself. No, he wouldn't. But at the same time, I know those thoughts come from Satan. Well, I don't know if they come from Satan, but I know they don't come from God, um, You know, there are saints, uh, I'm thinking of, I think St. Margaret, tremendously deformed. I think one young saint, I'd have to take time to look her up, who was so in the world's eyes ugly and deformed that she was kept in a closet. And now she's a saint because she loved God. So, no, 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 no. god i don't know what god's purpose is in making some exquisitely beautiful and some that to the world seem very ugly i don't know how that is there are people who come out beautiful and spend their whole life in a wheelchair because they born without a brain or deformed. there's all kinds of things beloved we don't blame anything on god um, and God does what He wills, and He wills that everything is to His glory. So if physically outside you're unattractive, you could be v- much more beautiful inside than someone who is beautiful outside, not necessarily, but you can live to the glory of God. Um, if when you were younger, mother did you ever feel insecure about your physical appearance oh i think i did because i you know i want to be popular like everybody else what was your experience with men before you discerned a vocation i love your wisdom on this she says i would love your wisdom on this i feel that my calling is to one day become a wife and mother but sometimes that feels unattainable maybe i'm just being impatient thank you for your insights katarina Well, I didn't have your experience before I became a religious, um, well, no, before I became a Christian, um, uh, not as an evangelical Protestant, uh, I had a very active social life. I became a Christian in my early 30s, and I had a very, very active social life. Three marriage proposals, in fact. Uh, I never went through with marriage, but... um, Uh, I had quite a busy life. When I gave my life to Christ, which was as an evangelical Protestant, had nothing to do with Catholicism or being a nun, I wouldn't even have thought of such a thing at the time. Um, But I stopped dating because God so brought my heart to Him. I didn't want anyone to come between me and Him. I just didn't want to date. And so I never watched TV again. Uh, I didn't date. My heart was for God. And then when I became Catholic, here I am as a nun. Blessed be his name. Do I deserve to be a nun? Of course not. But God allowed that. So that has nothing to do, if God wants you married, dear one, if the Blessed Mother would have you marry, uh, there will be a man for you. You will. It, it will not be based on your looks. It will be based on on the loveliness of your heart. There are men who believe they're unattractive. There are all kinds of people God has put in this world. Um, And um, if God would have you married, you be, work, work, work to be modest, attractive, but modest. Wear modest clothing, nothing short, nothing tight, nothing low cut, nothing sleeveless. Be a beautiful model, of modesty model after the blessed mother and make your goal the virtues of the heart and if god would have you marry you will not believe the man he brings you Uh, he will be a saint regardless of what he looks like he will be a saint and he will um, know that you in your heart are also a saint don't worry about it katarina Uh, God does his most perfect work uh, behind the scenes, so to speak. Uh, Have the heart of a beautiful saint. Um, Model after our Blessed Mother and you will not have to worry about what God has for you. We'll speak with you all tomorrow. God bless you.